and I don't mean just like capital grants to like buy buses. So our team yeah. will look at, okay, maybe we're going to build a facility in a neighborhood that has suffered divestment for 50 years. Uh, we're getting ready to build um, a new transit center in a neighborhood that has 15,000 jobs, no daycare, no grocery store, ah. um, access to education is very tough. So our facility is going to be built with daycare, the food bank, and classrooms inside. So that opens us up for grant eligibility with workforce yeah. and food insecurity. So pursuing grants that might not normally seem like a transit grant um, and so our team is able to offset a lot of our capital costs, which then in turn helps us save that money. Now, we have plans for that money. I, you know, it, it looks like a lot, um, but considering that this community is growing so fast and we need to really build out our mobility system, um, those reserves are intended to bolster our local match for major uh, federal capital improvement uh, grant programs. Welcome to the Mobility Innovators Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Mobility Innovator Podcast. I'm your host, Jaspal Singh. Mobility Innovator Podcast invite key innovators in the transportation and logistics sector to share their experience and future forecast. In this episode, we'll be discussing the role of innovation for future of public transit agencies in North America. Our today guest is an amazing transit CEO. She's the president and CEO of the Central Ohio Transit Authority. You can say COTA. COTA is the public transit agencies that serve Columbus, Ohio metropolitan area, providing transportation to nearly 19 million passengers annually. She assumed the role in April 2018, becoming the second woman to lead the organization in its history. Under her leadership, COTA has focused on improving the service for customers, including increasing the frequency of services on high demand routes launching the new program like Kota Plus, a micro-transit services that provide on-demand transportation within certain zones in the Columbus, Ohio. Prior to joining Kota, she served as the Chief Operating Officer of the Transportation Research Center. She also held several positions at the Ohio State University and the Ohio Department of Transportation. She's a strong advocate for public transportation and its role in promoting economic development and social equity. I'm so happy to welcome Joanna Pinkerton, President and CEO, Central Ohio Transit Authority. Now it's time to listen and learn. Hello, Joanna. It's great to have you on the show. Looking forward to our conversation today. I mean, I when I met you first time, I saw like there is so much to learn from your experience. So I said, I should talk to you for this podcast. Well, I appreciate the invitation. Thank you for making the time. Um, those who know me know that I, I love to talk about this concept of movement, which it affects us all. And so I'm, I'm really uh, glad that you asked for me to join you in this podcast. And I hope we have a really great discussion ahead. Oh, looking forward to that. And, and what's a good way to start uh, your personal journey into the public transit space? Because you studied in Ohio, you started your career in Ohio. But throughout, you work uh, with Ohio Department of Transportation, then Ohio State University. But largely, your experience was always in automobile and transportation space. And I would say Central Ohio Transit Authority is like your first formal position in transit. So my question is, what inspired you to pursue a career in public transit? Because it's not that fancy world. People doesn't see it as a fancy world. 
And something I saw your LinkedIn profile, it's quite rich, but something which you haven't shared on your LinkedIn profile or public domain. Well, I appreciate you asking, uh, particularly because I don't think any, you know, little child or young person, uh, girl or boy, wakes up one day and says, I want to be a transit CEO. Um, and that certainly is true for me. I, I never woke up thinking I'm going to be a transit CEO. You're right about my background. Um, it really started with engineering. Mm -hmm. So engineering can encompass a lot of things. Um, so had a background in all public infrastructure systems, water, sewer, uh, environmental, stormwater, and of course, the roads and the bridges side. Yeah. And there was this tipping point at some at some point in my career where, you know, I understood how to build things, particularly, let's say, the horizontal side. And then, um, you know, just my understanding of where tech was going and was recruited into the automotive research side. Yeah. And there was this uh, synergy of like system, right? Like the, yeah. the thing that holds it and then the part that moves. And as I learned more about advanced technology in my automotive work, it became really clear um, that the transit systems we have in place is really the system that is going to be built and retooled. It's going to be kind of the spine of this of this um, next generation of mobility systems. And and when the CODA board approached me, uh, initially I was a little hesitant, as you <laughs> might imagine. Uh, but it's something about engineering. Um, when there's a problem statement, you know, you can educate yourself, yeah. uh, you can learn, listen, surround yourself with experts. And it really was a leap of faith to say, I may not know everything about transit. I know a lot about mobility systems and technology. And so let's jump into this and see what the problem statement is and then work towards um, having a better transit system for our community. Hmm. Now, that's great. I mean, I would say we are lucky to have you because that's what we need more. Uh, the transit is there, it's a backbone, but you need to mm -hmm. add the system approach. You need to have the problem right. statement approach to, to solve it. Now, you have developed at Kota uh, this short-term strategic plan for 2024, as well as a long-range 2050 strategic plan. And I love the point that it is centered around moving every life forward. It's not about just moving people. It's like moving every life forward, no matter which part of the world you're coming from and what is your status, what is your economy. Uh, what kind of person you are. So you want to move everybody forward. I would love to know why that statement you put it. And the other point is, you know, what happened is, like you mentioned, COVID was a big change for the industry. Once COVID hit, everything stopped. Public transit was still suffering from it. So what were the challenge faced during that time? Because I know you must be very new in the job and suddenly you got this news of, okay, stop everything and rebuild everything. Right. How, how the agency overcome those challenges? What was your experience during COVID period? Well, it's interesting to hear you break um, that question kind of into the two parts. And I'll start with that long-term uh, strategic planning and our strategic plan. Uh, when I came on board, um, very well-functioning organization, amazing employees, great people, and you know, really well-run transit agency yeah. uh, for the most part. And but like any organization, I don't care whether you're private, public, nonprofit, there was really no guiding principles. It's mm -hmm. like, so how, how does everybody know what to focus on so that they, you know, that they know that the thing they do today is contributing towards this long-term goal. And so we actually embarked on our first strategic planning process uh, ever here at CODA. I'd been through that in both the private, academic, and nonprofit worlds. And it was an exercise. I give our employees a lot of the credit, almost uh, 1,100 employees. 
and more than 20% of them jumped in and contributed user, their voices. We consulted with uh, community leaders, customers, like what is your That's vision great. for us as a transit authority? Um, what should we be doing for you? And what's interesting, I think we did have maybe some kind of mission statement or something. And I remember it was like <laughs> five sentences long and it, and it had the word taxes in it. And I was like, oh, oh my gosh, like <laughs> does it really inspire you, right? And the theme, yeah. the theme throughout every single conversation, of course there's movement, but it's not our job to tell you where you're going. It is our job to um, support you. And what is it that, you know, ubiquitously, we can all agree that everyone deserves opportunity and we want to make, you know, move you forward wherever it is you're going. So I'm not going to say that it's right or wrong or that it's only good for medical or healthcare or for school. Our job is to move you forward. And so that's kind of where that moving every life forward came from. And I had some really good board members at the time too who just got it, um, they, they were within the corporate community and going through similar exercises because our mm. community is changing so rapidly. Yeah. So I just had a lot of good partners in developing that new vision statement. And then there's four pillars, you know, four guiding principles in that strategic, strategic plan. Um, it's really about the customer experience. Customer, I should point out, can be the person who's taking a trip on Coda or it's our employees. So what is their experience like being part of mobility? Um, prioritizing data and analytics, hmm. um, like any organization, uh, data rich, but analytics, you know, a little weak on the yes. analytics side. And what is it telling us? Yeah, I see you shaking <laughs> your head. It's, that applies to every organization, you know, yeah. so prioritizing hmm. that data and analytics was, was another pillar. Um, adv advancing mobility options. We, we yeah. were a fixed route service in central Ohio. Central Ohio is growing consumer preferences are changing. So yeah. figuring out what mobility options should be. And then of course, achieving organizational excellence, um, which is what led us to make changes internally. You probably know that we've been named the most outstanding transit agency yeah. in the nation twice uh, in four years. And really that organizational excellence and commitment to top-notch service was driven from that strategic plan. But then there was, I'll tell you, there was this um, conversation of should equity, diversity, and inclusion be, you know, one of the hmm. guiding principles. And as we talk to people and, and people have different opinions about what that means, Yeah, Very but the transportation and mobility is something we all need. And it became really clear that that needed to be the, the center post like this. Um, it all needed to be built around EDI. So instead of making it like a, a fifth guiding principle, um, we consider it the center of every decision. It's a lens. So as you're working in those four guiding principles, you know, is it equitable for all? Does it provide opportunity? And is it inclusive so that um, everyone has the same opportunity? So that that was kind of the process. And then really, you just got to work the plan, right? You have mm -hmm. a North Star, a lot to do all the time in transit. And you have finite resources. Yeah, And so it holds us accountable. Like, does it fit within one of those four guiding principles? And more importantly, is it right? Yeah. You know, is it grounded in equity and are we treating people fairly? So that was the strategic plan. So fast forward to your question about the pandemic. I am so glad that we had that, you know, those guiding principles outlined before that because the onset of the pandemic, um, I almost hate to talk about it. Cause it's like, boy, I, that was, <laughs> um, 
you know, that was the level of trauma that we, we all experienced at the same time. Now we all right. had different experiences, but it hit us all. And um, so there was not a lot of data, right? Remember yeah. that? Like not a lot of information, not a lot of data, a lot of misinformation, a lot of fear. Yeah. So we had to make decisions quickly and in real time. And so to kind of, to have these guiding principles to say, what's the data saying? Uh, what are the customers saying? How's it going to impact our operations? And does it, you know, will we be able to serve the community? So we, do we meet the tenets of those four pillars? I'm really glad we had that strategic plan um, as our North Star during COVID because we had to make really tough decisions. Like there was a time when you couldn't even buy a mask. Do you remember that? I know, I know. Like, there was shortage of masks, sanitizer. Right. So it was crazy. Pro-mask, anti-mask, you couldn't even get them. So made a lot of decisions based on what is best for our customer and, and what was best for our operators at that time. And I think um, as difficult as it was, uh, there was a time period where we, you know, our frontline operators in particular, and then our entire team felt like we are providing a vital service right now for this community. And it really showed with um, the people who had the ability to stay home and work from home. They had one experience, people who still had to go to work, and had to be out. They deserved a safe uh, experience. I remember we um, found uh, some, I contacted some of my friends in the hospital industry and they're like, oh yeah, we use this antiviral coating. So next thing you know, we were coating every single vehicle in our entire mm -hmm. fleet with this antimicrobial coating. Oh. And we actually ended up pursuing a, um, I don't recall the name, but like a sort of a global certification um, for bio protocol. And, oh. um, I was really proud of that. Like yeah. that wasn't in the transit playbook, you know? <laughs> but <laughs> it sense. our team felt empowered and that's something we did, you know, within 90 days of the pandemic starting. And that's just one example of many of where our people really pulled together centered around those principles. I mean, that's, that's superb. And I, I can now re emphasize your approach about problem statement. Like you get any problem. Okay. We need to solve this. Mm -hmm. Let's figure out and not only look solution within transit, go outside, like right. talk to healthcare hospitals, how they are managing, because that's, that's a place of more, uh, you know, where we, you can have uh, more contagious stuff. So how they are securing their facility and copy that to transit. So I love that approach of following the problem statement approach and saying, okay, this is a problem, guys. Now we need to sit together, brainstorm and, and solve it. And I love the the point that you remember your guiding principle by heart, because that's very important. It's not just a paper written and piece on the wall. It's actually right. core to whatever you're doing in, in, in your job. And not only you brought those guiding principle, but other big achievement, which I see at Quota because I, I went through some of the annual report and I saw the one of the biggest achievement you have done is you turn a negative cash flow into a positive. <laughs> like you, when you, in 2019, I guess you had a $17 million negative funds and now you have surplus of $206 million. And, and why it is important because you need to invest now in the transit, you need to invest in the future. And ridership number will never be 100%. It will take its time. So the revenue will not come back from the ridership. You have to be proactive to look outside. So just want to understand what was your magic? How did you manage to turn around not only the strategic part, but the financial part? Because a lot of transit agencies are still suffering from the financial yes. part. So what was uh, your secret? They, well, they are struggling. And I would say, you know, we're not immune 
by any means, um, the transit industry as a whole, you know, finances will always, they always have been yeah. and will always continue to be a real challenge because it's very capital intense, labor intense. These are costs that you need to be able to cover. With our um, change in our budgeting approach, there's there's been a few things that contributed to that. So one of those uh, principles, when I mentioned operational excellence, it's just a commitment to managing our finances. So coming in under budget every year and a lot of, and that's not from cuts. So, you know, I know it's easy to just say, cut something and save money, but yeah. again, back to that human centered focus, is a customer going to be negatively impacted or will an employee be negatively impacted? So we provided, you know, raises to all of our employees every single year during that cost savings period uh, because they deserve it. Yeah. And so looking at um, operational efficiencies was a big thing for us. So tucking that money away uh, for a rainy day. Of course, our position was strengthened by the support from the federal funding under the American Rescue Plan Act and the coronavirus aid relief. So talking to Washington and just making sure they understood how those funds would be used so that they felt comfortable yeah. you know, allocating them, making them feel like it's worth it. Um and then, you know, we've done things to eliminate like post-employment liabilities. Um, but I'd say the biggest shift is we have, and this is tight, this is hard to do. Um, I know we all do it at home and, and it's it's a real challenge. We also um, have made a commitment and I convinced my board to pass uh, a policy that we will, we will siphon off 10% of our operating cost every single year and set wow. it aside. And so that allows you to start doing more multi-year, like five-year um, capital improvement programs yeah. where you can plan ahead and, and understand your costs. It makes it a little tighter on the operating side, you know, got to find that money, but then it bolsters your CIP process. Mm. And then we have an amazing team who is tireless in their pursuit of discretionary grants mm. Um and I don't mean just like capital grants to like buy buses. So our team yeah. will look at, okay, maybe we're going to build a facility in a neighborhood that has suffered divestment for 50 years. Hmm. Um, we're getting ready to build um, a new transit center in a neighborhood that has 15,000 jobs, no daycare, no grocery store, ah. um, access to education is very tough. So our facility is going to be built with daycare, the food bank, and classrooms inside. So that opens us up for grant eligibility with workforce yeah. and food insecurity. So pursuing grants that might not normally seem like a transit grant. Um, and so our team is able to offset a lot of our capital costs, which then in turn helps us save that money. Now we have plans for that money. I, you know, it, it looks like a lot, um, but considering that this community is growing so fast and we need to really build out our mobility system um, those reserves are intended to bolster our local match for major uh, federal capital improvement uh, grant programs. No, that's amazing. And in fact, in Hong Kong, all the transit center has a daycare, grocery center, Is that because right? they want okay yeah, because they want people to come, drop their kid, go to their office, come back in the evening, yes. pick their kid, do their grocery, and then go back home. So that's how the transit should be integrated with everything because otherwise you need to go to the west side to drop your kid and east side to do mm -hmm. shopping and not north side or south side to work and home. It will never work. So you have to bring everything together. So I'm glad you are 
actually thinking and doing something which is unique i i haven't heard uh transit talking about creating a transit center not only for bringing buses but bringing daycare grocery shopping center or other utilities so that people come to one point and they can go home peacefully so well, amazing when you it's interesting that you point that out and it makes sense like once you say it it makes sense because easing people's travel and their yep. journey we all agree with that um we have some really interesting land use practices in the united states um and so nothing is connected and you have to almost drive or transport everywhere not very walkable communities uh, we certainly have suffered from that in central ohio yeah. um with zoning changes that were made back in the 1950s um, so it's really important to us. And through that strategic plan process, we heard from our community, like, what are the issues? We know housing is an issue. Um, our state has been dealing and in, in do, doubly impacted by the opioid crisis. Yeah. Um, you know, we have workforce retraining and um, kind of that silver tsunami where, you know, aging in place needs has certain needs and then the younger generation. So when you look at all that and then back to that moving a life forward, what are the needs in the community? We're the facilitator. We get you there. But having those conversations is really what led us to think, oh, well, we're moving them to a job. But if they, you know, if they don't have the health care, and it was interesting, that particular area, they had a point where a lot of the employers were experiencing almost 100% turnover mm. during the pandemic. Um, so we're like, well, you know, what are the what are the root causes of that in child care yeah. and food? Um, we're the top two, so why not put it in the transit center? No, that's great. I mean, I'm really, I'm really looking forward to what what you build from this and can be sharing with others because that's a, that should be a priority for other transit agencies. And one of the interesting project uh, Kota is again doing, which you mentioned about Linkus, which is integrating mobility system. You are you are bringing biking, you are bringing walking, you are bringing public to transit together. The sad part in North America, we always see transit as an isolated project. We never see as an mm -hmm. urban development project because right. like I see a lot of cities are building light rail, BRT system, and there is nothing around LRT. And I was like, why are you not building something around the LRT stations and the corridor, create a walking space, create a uh, movement space for people. But they, they never think about that because they think our job is just to build a railway line and, and leave it. So what is uh, what is your lesson? Why what inspired you to do that? And also, I would be very curious to learn a little more about this Linkus project, which you are doing, uh, and and because you are not calling it as a BRT project, you are calling it very differently. So why why mm -hmm. that? Well, it, so the Linkus Mobility Initiative. I'm so glad you were able to pick up on that just from reading, you know, material and getting to know us. So that that's a good sign that we're getting the message out there. Yeah. So we have this kind of Columbus way, like the U.S. is yeah. um, the representation that we have a, a communal commitment to figure out big problems. Like you you probably have heard of our growth and, and major economic development deals happening. And those things happen because we, we work together. And as a community grows and as you begin to address things like inequity, divestment in neighborhoods or what it's going to take to build enough housing when you look at it again to a system level, um, you realize, wow, we can't just improve the timing a little bit yeah. and we can't just build one line because there's need everywhere. Um, so really working with our partners, like the Regional Planning Commission, our planning commission is called MORPSI, Mid-Ohio oh. Regional Planning Commission. 
Um, I cover dozens of jurisdictions, cities, mm. counties, suburbs, uh, working with each of them and building out a pro forma. And uh, when we looked at the gaps, so when you look at how many hundreds of miles, and I mean miles <laughs> of missing sidewalk, yeah, or the fact that we've built incredible bike paths and recreational trails and the community loves it. Like people want this accessibility and walkability. Um, when you look at vision zero principles and the dire statistics around pedestrian fatalities yeah. and automobile crashes that result in fatalities, um, we're losing almost a billion dollars a year in central Ohio just from automobile crashes. Mm, and true. so that's an opportunity cost. And if you invested your money differently, you know, how do you how do you make that problem go away? So really um, as the anchor, we thought as we build our system out, what are what are all the needs? And so I really have to thank our partners at the cities and the regional planning commissions for helping us go through that uh, very data intensive exercise. I can remember one time the team mapped out every missing sidewalk in central Ohio. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. You can share with that. <laughs> you the price tag for it but it's a big <laughs> price tag um so then you put filters on it right so like where are you seeing higher crash rates yeah. um where do people have gaps where they can't get to transit because there's no mm -hmm. sidewalk or um was that previously disrupted by maybe an interstate investment and it was cut off um so we put filters and lenses of equity health health outcomes so yeah. if you live in this neighborhood your average lifespan is 86 two miles away at 66. So looking at what public infrastructure would do to social infrastructure, we were able to negotiate, took a couple of years, which are the biggest investments in transportation that would result in a different outcome for our community. So um, the current pro forma really is centered around at least five um, high capacity, likely BRT systems. Um, three of them are under design several hundred miles of sidewalks and bike trails, money set aside for um, investing in intersection improvements to make it safer for yeah, all of parts. the different modes. Mm -hmm. And then also equitable transit-oriented development. So mm -hmm. we know that if you fix the transit or the transportation system, it usually en enables economic development, housing development. And how do we do that in a way that um, brings people in, um, at market rate, but also protects those who are living in the communities. And that's why we call it ETOD, not just TOD. Yeah. Um, so that financial pro forma um, was really years of work, um, labeled it link us, got the community behind it, and it'll require funding. So you can expect mm. that within, um, so Ohio um, transits really on the local community to fund. Um, there's not a statewide initiative. So uh, you can expect that within our community, there'll be a conversation uh, within the next few months. Our, our mayor of our capital city even came out and said that that's something that will need to go to the ballot uh, within yeah. just a few months. Oh, okay, but I wish you good luck because that's a, that sounds like a super plan. And, and I like your approach of not doing it alone, not taking everything on right. your own talking to the partner, talking to other regional agencies. And that's, that's very important. And, and I know you, your, you know, first passion is about technology. So how you're looking to use technology in that link yeah. us project, what are the technology thing you want to bring it and make it like, 
you are passionate about operational excellence you are passionate about technology so how you are going to marry both of them together so it's interesting to see how quickly um vehicle technology is advancing particularly with advanced driver systems yeah um, but you know those are things that are just going to eventually be uh, in flooded in all of our lives whether it's transit or automotive um when i think about even um the traffic signal so the city controls that but our vehicles communicate with it I do think that there's a major overhaul, uh, particularly with artificial intelligence and machine learning, where you know the traffic signal could be communicating. Just like we all know that our phones are listening to us and talking, <laughs> and they know where we are, anonymized. We'd like to think, um, but what is that user experience like? Like I'm on time, my transit's on time. The signal knows that we all need to go someplace, um, and really truly making it a, a connected system. Um, I could see where. Um, implementing that in a normal capital program needs to be part of all of our way of thinking um, because technology will always change and, and it's going to accelerate. Uh, I remember at the university, you know, more than a decade ago, looking at edge computing with, you know, just professors and students who were looking at uh, advanced AI systems. And I thought, wow, like what happens when the traffic signal tells us what to do instead of um, it being thinking. based on the old circuits, the way it is now. Amazing. Um, so I see, I see a place for it, particularly if it's used for the right purpose, right? I'm not a believer in technology just for technology's sake. It has to save lives. It has to, um, you know, reduce our emissions and our carbon footprint. It has to help people be healthier and safer, um, particularly with um, women, minorities, children who suffer at disproportionate rates when it comes to health outcomes. Yeah. So, um, I can see some applications there where um, that's kind of what gets me excited about the tech space. And I'll tell you, I get a little criticism sometimes <laughs> from the industry about being too much of a tech geek, but um, it's it's part of our lives. And so I think it's yeah. our, our responsibility to embrace it and see how it could be used to improve things. I fully agree with you. And, and the way technology is changing, I mean, people... It's like to them, it sounds like an alien language when you talk about edge computing. I mean, the word you use, edge computing, advanced AI, generative mm -hmm. AI... A lot of people don't even understand these things and they don't see the use case. But what you said about traffic signal telling you how to make your operation better, that's a better mm -hmm. way of doing, not telling the traffic signal when to turn green and red, right. but it's telling you, okay, your bus come every day this time. So why don't you change your route and schedule according to that and, and use data analytics, reduce the, the accident rate. And I love in the previous point, you mentioned about how you're mapping out community, how you're seeing like why this neighborhood has a more life expectancy than other, mm -hmm. what is the reason? What is the, why the sidewalk is not there? Because sometimes in transit, we think that our job is just to run the bus and train, forget about right. everything else, but that's not true. You are, like you said, uh, every life should move forward. So you have to believe in that North Star and do it. Now, the other project you mentioned, which I, I know you mentioned to me, it was very difficult for you to start about this on-demand mobility that Kota Plus <laughs> and you launched in 2021. You didn't get too much of big support initially, but uh, but you push it forward. You wanted to do because you, you understood like passenger profile is changing. They need more services. So can you share what was the response of the service in last two years? And also what are the learning from the project? Because a lot of cities are now looking to implement these projects. And some of the cities are doing very badly because some of the city, the cost of providing per trip is $70 per per trip. 
which is even okay. more than hiring a taxi or other service right and uh, are you looking to bring any synergy with paratransit because that's also one of the challenge in us absolutely absolutely i'm so glad you brought uh, paratransit up so we um initially decided to launch microtransit in 2019 and we might have been maybe like the third city in the nation to do it and so like when you're out there on that kind of leading edge it's so important to not be on the bleeding edge oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> bleeding edge not bleeding edge and um not there wasn't like an off the shelf product that met every need um still pretty much a vc you know startup market but we saw a need in a, a back to that land use planning um some of our communities in our neighborhoods are pretty dense and we have high capacity corridors that works great yeah we also have some suburban and even rural environments within just miles of downtown that you know high capacity line there's not enough demand for it or cost wise yeah. or even um we have some historical neighborhoods that are still brick streets these gorgeous alleyways um on the national historic register i couldn't fit a full size transit vehicle down that neighborhood street if i wanted to oh yeah um so the problem statement was really like okay we want to do this let's make it a pilot and let's learn and so we launched in partnership with a suburb which has one high capacity line that coda runs and what we learned very quickly is hospitals employers food bank yeah. veteran services really appreciated the ability to on demand um our service reliability and when we launched was 7 minutes so within mm -hmm. 7 minutes a vehicle shows up can carry up to 6 people and we made a a decision since it was a pilot yeah. um so a trip is $3 point to point or if you're using it to go to the high capacity fixed route line there's no charge so the thought uh -huh. is it's just an extension of your trip right so um we we got board support you know to have the latitude of like we need to learn what we learned very quickly <laughs> other suburbs started raising their hands and say me too oh, like <laughs> you know we went in on the game we were able to find funding and local match from the suburb and launched in another suburb and then um found a, a large part of southern columbus um the south we call it south side it's really 14 different neighborhoods that make up the south side so it's a city within a city hmm. um you know a lot of um it, it was the old highway us 23 and now it's like eight lanes wide in places so you know crossing it as a pedestrian is not an option oh yeah um cut off at several different places uh by interstates when we mapped the sidewalks and then street lights um jobs had been displaced to other neighborhoods it really became an equity issue of like okay let's try launching it there so we have these three major areas where microtransit was launched and we're doing thousands of trips a week ah and so what it tells us is there is the demand for people yeah. who don't have car ownership um don't want car ownership don't have access to transit easily it's not intended to replace the fixed route at all it's intended yeah. to get people to fixed route or to provide more localized service especially to hospitals and job centers um if there's not high capacity transit so we're learning where the new demand patterns are for residents we're also working with um nonprofits hospital systems to track health outcomes to say is this working yeah is it helping people in this neighborhood Um so I'm I'm really excited about it. it's going to stay around for a while. And you mentioned paratransit. So the old dial ride. <laughs> yeah, dial ride. Um, 
It's all scalable, right? It, it, it's scalable. And we, so what we've done, we haven't integrated the two yet, but in our paratransit, we did add on-demand services, um, not fully ADA, but more targeted towards aging in place. Aging. So maybe you have a walker or a cane. Um, and that has been, it, we've been overwhelmed with demand there. Mm. So looking at how to develop a platform, because again, it still doesn't exist yet, yeah. but there's a couple companies that are really close um, of finding one that integrates that entire platform. Um, you know, we use transit app for fixed route. Uh, we use the Coda Plus via app for on-demand micro transit. And then we use UServe for our on-demand paratransit. And right now the problem statement when it comes to um, integration in uh, open source software is <laughs> how do I do my job and make it easy for you, the user? Like you don't need to know what is going all on. the different, that's exactly right. And we've had some great success, early success with integrating um, Lyft and Uber into our fixed route transit and Kogo, our local uh, bike system, so that you can see your options. So we're getting yeah. there, but it definitely takes some um, some de software development. And um, I don't know if you know this, but a lot of data scientists don't really think of transit as their first career option. So we're oh, that's we're working, a big issue. <laughs> so we're working really hard, um, bring people in house or contract that work out with some of the universities and pri and private companies. Well, that's a big challenge to attract the right talent. And uh, yesterday I was discussing yeah. is like. The whatever good talent you have, there's a lot of tech company which need those talents. So it's they right. have a choice between going there. But one thing you mentioned, which is very interesting, and I think I never heard about that, how you are actually making it as a last mile opportunity for high speed, uh, mm -hmm. high capacity route. Because right. I don't think any other city is doing that. Like you can use on-demand mobility to go to mm -hmm. the transit center or high capacity route and you're not being charged. So that's, that's right. superb. So kudos to you for that because... I think that's unique. I haven't heard about this or I don't know if any city is doing, but this is first time I heard that you are actually using on-demand as a last mile connectivity for Wait, users. That's actually what drove the initial conversation is there are so many places in, um, it's kind of a Midwestern thing with our zoning and then also how the interstates are laid out. Some neighborhoods are really great for walking. Yeah. Others, you get off the transit system and you don't have options. So that becomes a barrier for people to mm -hmm. want to use transit. So we thought, okay, what does this last mile solution look like? Not everybody walks, not everybody bikes. If you've got a kid or a stroller with you, um, those, you know, the bike's not an option. So yeah. it really started as a first last mile problem statement. Amazing. Again, problem statement. I think that's the core of uh, this this conversation is that always look every problem as a, as a statement and try to solve it. Now, other important thing, which I'm a big fan of Kota is doing is that you partner with Rev1 Venture to set up the Go Mobility Lab, which is unique. I mean, there are some transit agencies which have in-house team to do that, but setting up a mobility lab is something unique. And I, I think uh, you got some integrated mobility innovation grant also, 1.7 million from the FTA, which is second unique feature you have there. Mm -hmm. And uh, you're looking to use AI and machine learning to improve the efficiency and customer experience. So can you discuss the role of Go Mobility Lab how it's supporting innovation and collaboration in transit space. And what are the lessons you want to give it to other agencies? Let's say if some agencies say, okay, we want to follow this model, how should sure. they do it? Well, that's I appreciate you asking that question. That really is a great question. And I have to give kudos um, to other leaders within the transit agency. When I came on board, it came from a research, um, but very applied research innovation space and thought, 
okay, who's the innovation department or or the equivalent of? Because that to me is just such a standard business practice nowadays. There wasn't one. Um, We worked really hard to recruit um, our chief innovation officer is pretty amazing. And she's also an engineer, interestingly enough, comes from the aviation industry. So, and, and has a CX background from her years at IBM and other places. But so the concept was, okay, we're going to invest in this. So there has to be a commitment from the leadership top down. And I oh, yeah. spoke to a few others, uh, in major cities. They were very welcoming. You know, we're, we're Columbus. Sometimes people are like, oh, that's a big city. Or sometimes they're like, where's Columbus? <laughs> um, they were very welcoming and, and let us kind of um, investigate what their innovation departments looked like. Yeah. And I learned very quickly that it has to be a top priority, you know, CEO mm-hmm. level and then immersed as a layer throughout the organization. It just can't be this department over here. Oh, yeah. So set that up um, as a priority. Didn't have the Go Mobility Lab at first. And our chief innovation officer um, very quickly came to realize that there's people who want to partner with us, but we didn't have a mechanism. Yeah. So that partnership with Rev1 was really important. Um, my advice to others is one, you can do it. It doesn't matter if you're big or if you're small, yeah. you can scale it to what works for you, but then you have to have a mechanism, you know, just like, um, I guess it'd be like business development. And so yeah. what Rev does for us, we're, we're really fortunate in Columbus to have a great VC and startup community. And they are the nonprofit arm where nonprofit or VC is invested. And then startups come in to be vetted, to try and win funding. So we reached out to them and they do this with a lot of other organizations. They help Nationwide Children's Hospital. They help Swaco, which is our solid waste authority. Um, They have partnerships with, I think with Nationwide Insurance and like the local pizza chain and their innovation labs. So they really became the administrative arm for us to kind of vet ideas. Like, is this idea about mobility going to fit within one of those pillars to help people? And if so, then the project moves forward. And then a key element is, can we bake it into our capital budget? Is it um, something we can allocate operating dollars to? Or more often than not, like you mentioned, the $1.7 million FTA grant, can we go find a grant for that? Um, There was not a grant for artificial intelligence uh, in 2021. But we took it to that that JPO um, and R&D concept in USDOT and said, what kind of funding is there if we can prove that um, integrating AI with our traffic management will help first responders, yeah. will save lives, um, and reduce emissions? And so that's how our team won that grant. But really, it's about setting up the pipeline of yeah. how you're going to manage the projects, because there's a lot of good ideas out there. Yeah. Um, but not all of them, you know, being able to pr- prioritize which ones to, to invest in is really invest important. And spend time in. And I think one important point you mentioned is you cannot, again, you said you cannot do it alone. You need to have partner who understand the space and the transit can be a platform, but how to vet the idea, how to attract the right founder, because I meet a lot of founders, not, I mean, they are passionate, but not everything is going to work. So you need to filter out, which are the idea, which will work out. And this VC ecosystem, they understand the space better than the transit world. So we should not spend time and effort where we don't uh, we don't have capacity let them do that and work transit as a platform to use those idea to improve that's the right. system. i that's right. i fully agree with that and that's why i see a lot of cities and a lot of departments set up the innovation department but it never worked not where there are very few examples where it worked 
it really does have to be um, organization-wide. It cannot be isolated. And that was some great advice I received from other leaders who were having success. Um, and then also that the, removing the risk and or the fear of risk. So government agencies have a tendency to be like, this is the procurement process. And yes, there are laws and we follow all the laws, but that doesn't mean you can't figure out what's out there. And so- yeah you know, sticking with that model of I only buy this part to do this thing. It's really a mindset shift mm. of, okay, that's the problem statement and I need to go find a partner. And so often what happens is there's maybe only one or two in that space. So figuring out working very closely with your finance department, your board of trustees, and figuring out how you can fund um, startups or pilots yeah. is a really important part of the process. And and also the procurement team. So I I think one of the mm -hmm. best job is done by Transport for London. They have a good yes. open innovation department. They are they are doing super. They job. do. So one important point you mentioned a little while back about attracting talent. And mm -hmm. when I visited the quota website, the first thing I saw was sign up bonus <laughs> for the drivers. Right. And it's you are not unique because whole world is facing this problem of staff shortage, especially the transit operator, mechanical staff, the workshop staff. So what do you, I will be very curious to know what is your perspective on this issue? Do you think it's a transitory phase? I mean, it is temporary or it will here to stay. And what are the innovation quota is evaluating to address this workforce challenge? Like autonomous mobility, some cities are thinking like in Japan, they are thinking autonomous mobility can solve everything or we need to bring some kind of technology. Uh, what are the innovative idea you are implementing at Quota to address this challenge? Well, I do wish innovation could just make this magically go away. Um, workforce is our number one issue. And like you said, we're not immune um, yeah. to this, this challenge. Um, so there's a few different things we're doing. The landing page, of course, says there are careers here. Consider transport. Um, I think even though the entire world, especially the United States, is dealing with a workforce crisis, transport has been hit a little harder uh, than other industries, partly because it's a tough job, like transportation oh, yeah. tough, right? So people have to generally want to be in this space. And so I think we've really focused our messaging on the why, like mm. saying, you know, you make a difference in your community. So that's been part of our approach to marketing and that has really actually changed the number of applicants we have coming in. Uh, like everyone else, we're offering sign-on bonuses. We're offering um, referral bonuses to our existing operators and employees. Um, but I think to your question about, is this temporary? We're in this for a while. Uh, I, mm. I especially talk to a lot of my executive friends in healthcare who, who have like vacancies of like 30% nursing staff. You know, this is- Yes, this is crisis level. Um, and so we we all kind of presume that we're going to be in this for a couple of years. Um, I hope I'm wrong. <laughs> I, I really hope I'm wrong. Um, but even if you look back a few years ago, when I started here, I remember skilled trades. That was a big topic. Yeah. Uh, we started a vehicle maintenance internship program with high schoolers back in 2018. Amazing. And they are paid. They're learning on the job. They're still going to high school. It, it, it took several years. So it took three to four years for that program to really pay off, but it's working. So mm. it's showing younger generations that there is an opportunity for me 
and I can earn good money and the company will invest in me and help me earn my credentials. So a lot of these training programs are credentialed, um, certified by um, universities or post-secondary institutions or even the state of Ohio. So we're going to have to shift that same focus to every job opportunity mm. within CODA, not just vehicle maintenance. Um, we're looking at establishing a similar program for operators. Again, it might take a couple of years for that to pay off. Um, and then talent, we have been um, really consistent about um, messaging the why. I mentioned our chief innovation officer from aviation industry, our chief people officer, we got her from the manufacturing industry, but we really sold them on the why. Why? Like yeah. the work you do matters. The work you do matters. And uh, I think everyone's kind of going through a little bit of self-evaluation at this point in time, having been through multiple global crises. <laughs> and there's an opportunity to have a conversation with workforce there about, you know, this this is not only a place that um, pays well, and but that there's a career here. We also focus really hard on um, getting the message out about female participation yeah. and minority participation. Um, we are more than 60% minority at CODA. And the transport industry as a whole is roughly 15% female. We're 35% female here. 30, that's um, amazing. 35. We were at 30 when I came on board. And really, it's about modeling. You know, if you if you see it, then you can believe it. Oh, yeah. So if, if they see people, you know, women who are bus operators, if they see female managers, if they see a female CEO... Um, you know, I think it helps people to understand that this career is for them here. And I think it'll pay off in the long run. In the short term, it, it hurts. <laughs> I'll oh, tell yeah. you, it's no, tough I, right now. No, but that's, I mean, this is so unique because I was in one of the transit agency, one of the biggest one in America. I went to the workshop and they were struggling to hire mechanics and uh, electrical mm -hmm. staff. And we were discussing the same idea is like, why don't you engage the high school student and yes. sell this why? And they had no clue. I mean, they are still thinking to do it. And it's amazing to see you are already doing it. Again, it can be a role model for other agencies because that's what I was telling. You need to catch them young. You need to show them a yes. career path. You need to bring transit operator to show that you don't start and end your life as a transit operator, but you can grow in your career. You can rescale, you can upgrade your knowledge. And and what you mentioned about women participation, I think that's very important the challenge is scheduling, but also the facility. You need to have your facility create around uh, the female staff member. They're uh, probably creating a childcare facility, like you mentioned. That can be a big motivation for them to drop up their kid and then go for work and come back and pick them up. So one need to be innovative to bring more participation because their their needs and challenges are different. So great to see you are leading it. <laughs> Well, I, you know, we're making strides. I, um, you know, I read reports and it's, it's kind of sad or maybe even a little scary to me that it's estimated it's going to take more than another century um, for women's pay equity to, and, and then even um, with the unpaid labor, right? Like you mentioned all of the things like yeah. uh, we lost 3% of our female um, employees. And I think nationally, the numbers were double digits of the number of women who dropped out of the workforce during the pandemic. And it really was because there's this expectation of you're also taking care of everything else. And so, you know, helping our male colleagues and our male employees be empowered 
to be um, also having paid parental leave, having access to that same childcare. You know, it really is about the system. It's going to take a while. Yeah. Um, but I like the fact that um, we're modeling for other people that it can be done. Um, it's certainly not a perfect system yet, though. No, but that's the way to start. In fact, uh, you know, another report I read from Quota website was your sustainability plan report. And it's superb. Yes. Kudos to you because <laughs> it's not just a report. It actually creates a vision for the organization. And in that report, I remember you mentioned about the quota will increase the number of women by 10% in next 10 years. So, so you have a clear number stated there. You're not just saying, okay, we will increase women participation, but you are putting a target of 10% in 10 years and an increase in, like you mentioned, already 5% achieved. Now you need to make 5% more, but I, I'm yeah. pretty sure it will be more than 50% in coming years. I have a. I have to give a lot of kudos to our chief engineer. Um, he um, is a Navy veteran, uh, worked in the railroad industry, um, really committed to serving others. And when he took on the challenge of our sustainability plan and brought consultants and, and minority groups in, and we talked about what does sustainability actually mean? So we can set targets to be carbon neutral. Hmm. Um, we can reallocate our capital to accomplish this. But why? Back to the problem statement. Why are we doing it? Yeah. And it really boils down to, you know, our children, um, subsequent generations from an equity lens, who's being impacted right now. And so that's why there's goals in our sustainability plan about people, yeah. not just vehicles and buildings. Um, so I was really, really impressed with him and his team to look at it from a human centered um, design concept. Yeah, I mean, it's it's that plan. I feel it should be sent to all the agencies. It, it <laughs> talk about people. The other important point, which I read in your sustainability plan, and you can see I did my homework, is yes. you have your zero emission target, but your zero mm -hmm. emission target is very different because other agencies, they say our full fleet will be 100% zero emission by 2030 or something like that. Mm -hmm. But your emission is that you want to actually reduce net zero. You want to be net zero greenhouse emission and right. uh, PM2 particle emission by 2025. So you're not talking about only the vehicle emission. You're talking about everything. And yes. something which I found very interesting, again, uh, I was so impressed that you have a mission to reduce the $10 million in community saving through avoided work disruption and medical cost by this goal. So you're not just saying, okay, we will have green buses, but you're saying, right. okay, how will we see the benefit? So $10 million of saving through this medical cost and economic benefit uh, in the county. Can you share what is the net zero strategy of Quota and what are the key bottleneck for the adoption of uh, this strategy or moving toward electrification? Well, it's interesting to me that certain topics. So whether it's climate change, equity, sometimes these are polarizing. Yeah, I don't know why, but they are. So let's acknowledge that different people have different opinions about what needs to be done. And humanizing this is what was really important to us um, to avoid or to help clear bottlenecks. So um, the business community, I think, largely understands climate change and the fact that it's a risk to their bottom line. But me saying, oh, we're going to have net zero or you know zero, zero emission vehicles, unless you're a, a tech geek or maybe a mobility <laughs> geek like me, it's like, okay, whatever. It just sounds like you're spending more money. Yeah. 
But when you look at some statistics like childhood asthma Hmm. or the fact, and so this is a statistic in Ohio, I'm from Southern Ohio and and in that Appalachian region um, along the Ohio river, the antibiotic use, the asthma, uh, the infection rate with upper respiratory diseases, you know, are three, four times the national average. So if you Hmm. can humanize it and say, I'm not just spending money to have zero emission vehicles. I'm doing it because we will be able to improve your quality of life. Um, So I think transportation maybe got a little lost in being able to tell their story about what services we provide or um, what we're not doing well, right? Transportation's now number one source of pollution in the United States. And how it is that we got to that number one status is, is not not okay. <laughs> so, um, you know, tying it back to people's, um, health and welfare, like yeah. you have to be able to move in order to live and to be prosperous. And so we're, we look at, um, these type of things, you know, might be a bottleneck that someone's like, you know, climate change isn't real or it doesn't affect me. But then when you talk about, you know, health outcomes or everybody, uh, graduation, everybody. Rate, yeah. Um, that's really, I think, the biggest bottleneck we have as far as I've got a great board and I happen to have a great community, Central Ohio. Not everybody might agree with that. And they might say, what is this, you know, electric craze or zero emission craze? But I think time and communication will prove that this yeah. is the right step to take. I, I, I love your point because that's what where uh, I think the communication and storytelling is important because you need to again you come to that point of saying why why you are doing this why mm-hmm. we are actually i mean that's a lot of agencies don't understand why we need to have electric vehicle or zero emission vehicle is because not just to have a fancy toy but you actually want to make transit more sustainable and recently there was a lot of conversation going whether you want five electric buses or 50 diesel buses like whether you want mm-hmm. more service or less service so some and like you said there are different group one group will say we should sure. just have five electric buses and other group will say we should have more service. It doesn't matter even if it's a 50 diesel buses or, or um, gas buses, so it's like CNG and all. So I think the messaging is very important and people look for service and people look for better right. quality of service and uh, better health outcomes. So, so great to see that. And what is the plan? Like uh, you already have electric buses. Are you planning to procure electric buses? What is the stage you are at in? So we do have just a, a few electric buses. We have um, more than, I mean, more than 20% of our fleet is on order. I think you've heard of the supply chain issue. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's uh... Yeah, so we have a normal capital replacement program. Our commitment moving forward is everything will always be replaced with zero emission. Now you'll notice that doesn't say electric. Yeah. It's zero emission. So it might be an electric vehicle. I think we have 28 of them on order right now. But then looking at the power source, so the generation and the transmission of the power, that involves your utility company. And we thankfully have a great relationship with our utility company. They actually sit on our board. So they're very close to this topic. And then your normal capital. So major renovations of our building, uh, we needed to renovate our mechanical um, technician base anyways. So now's the time to go ahead and build the infrastructure that supports um, heavy duty charging and also um, accommodate maybe future. So are we talking hydrogen yeah. uh, in the near future? So our commitment is zero. And then looking at how your normal capital program 
can be funding that by making different um, different choices. I mean, in last one hour, I noticed like at least 20 unique things which Kota is doing. I never heard about that. Like you mentioned about utility companies on your board because that's amazing because now they are part of your decision-making and they are supporter. They will not object okay. to your plan. They will be part and they know in advance what quota is planning, how much power is required, how utilities can integrate. This is so unique. So again, congratulations for, for having all these ideas and working with all the stakeholders. Well, I do have to give uh, credit to our, our utility company. I don't know how we got so fortunate. If you look at utility boundaries, they're even oh, more yeah. straight. It's... <laughs> Um, the the current CEO of our utility company, which I think they cover like uh, like eleven states, um, happened to sit on our board, and I still remember her saying, um, "We've always been, you know, a power company, and with this massive shift in focus on transportation, she's like, we've never had to be a you know a fuel company, hmm. like fuel for vehicles, yeah." yeah. Right. So their problem statement is like, how do you not only generate enough electricity, but how you how do you distribute it? When we did um, the sixty five million dollar renovation to our primary transit facility and included heavy duty charging in that, the um, the transformer and the the network adjacent to it couldn't provide the electricity. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. we started those conversations with them three years prior um, so that they would understand. And then also so that they would prioritize us because they're going to have a lot of people making demands oh, yeah. on them. In the and and the, the renovation of utility infrastructure, like transit is not their first priority. So automobile and other sector is, but probably transit, right. they never think about that. No, thank you so much. Jana. And now this is my last question and it's about future. So what is your prediction hmm. for 2035 regarding the future of mobility? How do you see 2035 look like and how do you see the role of AI and ML transforming public transit sector? That's a really big question. <laughs> so <laughs> I, you know, I'm, I might go a little higher level, maybe, you know, if people who are thinking like wheels on the ground, I'm going to go a little higher level. Um, John Q. Public probably doesn't think about transportation demand modeling, um, but everything we do in transport is based on historical. It's like mm. rear view rear view mirror instead of windshield. Yeah. So I do think um, whether it's AI, machine learning, or what we're going to learn from alternative fuel vehicles, priority shifting to say transportation systems should not kill people. Mm. Um, they should not have poor health outcomes. Um, I think all of that is going to switch to um, more information being available and maybe even some predictive in real time yeah. information and analytics so that we get away from this old transportation demand modeling that predicts the future based on what was done in the past. If ever there was a case study for this, it would be the pandemic. Yeah. So people are traveling different, their work environments, whether it's hybrid or all from home or in the office, it's all different. So um, I think kind of doing miniature transportation system redesigns all the time based on um, technology, being able to tell us what's going on is the future. And more real time. So we'll get more real time feedback, how things are changing. And, and I, I fully agree with you. And sometimes I give example to people about Uber because I work there and idea is not to say anything particular about the company, but is like they have predictive modeling mm -hmm. uh, set up and they tell the taxi guy when and where they should be because they anticipate That's demand right. in advance. You know, they don't 
it's not like you just open the app and the taxi will just appear out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. So they know how many people will open up app there, what is their chances. And like you said, they listen to our conversation, they integrate with our calendar. So they know <laughs> this guy is heading where and then the vehicle is available. I, I fully agree with you. It it will be more predictive. And I love your analogy by looking the rear view or windshield. It's better to always look for windshield because then you can drive faster. <laughs> right. And imagine that example you just gave, you know, that's the vehicle and the system side. Imagine the infrastructure having that level of connectivity and intelligence. So, um, you know, I always use the analogy for our beautiful downtown is four lanes wide. We're not going to make it eight lanes wide and tear down our gorgeous historical state house or, you know, the bank tower. We're going to get more out of that existing, you know, five lanes and change how it's used. So I think once the infrastructure is able to incorporate that technology, you're going to see a a lot, a whole host of added benefits. Oh, yeah. I mean, I was recently attended uh, this uh, Tesla uh, annual day and I got some of the lesson for transit. Like in Tesla, they have now a road pattern. So they know when the road condition will be bumpy. So their suspension system will automatically adjust according to the road. So you don't need to do anything. So you will get a smooth route. Uh, their charging network, they automatically know which charger is available by what time. So you don't need to go and wait. So I think a lot of lessons we can learn from outside the industry and improve right. and use the technology. So thank you right. so much. I mean, we discuss about transit and technology and a lot of other stuff. Now we have this rapid fire question round to learn a <laughs> little bit <laughs> more about you. And, about this. <laughs> <laughs> it's a surprise. So uh, it's basically to know what you feel, what you think and uh, get some quick answer from you. So if you're ready, I'll just start. A... Shoot, go ahead. <laughs> okay. So if you were not in the automobile or technology and public transit sector, what other profession you would have selected? This may surprise you, but I think had I had more the um, more of the follow your passion, my um, initial major in college was a double major in engineering and music performance. Oh. So I think I think instead of saying I need a steady paycheck, I'm going to be an engineer. I think I would have entered um, more of the the musical scene. I still have a great passion for the symphony and the arts. So. I think I would have gotten into music performance, but knowing me, probably music management at some point. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's great. I I met some guests. They want to be chefs. Somebody want to be, like you said, musician, somebody. I mean, everybody has a different passion. But at the same time, I tell people we are lucky to have you in transit because you're helping to promote it. Now, you travel different part of the world and within the U.S. Like, which is your favorite city in the world? Favorite city? You know that... That's likely uh, likely one that I've never been to. Um, okay. I, I, I suspect that there's a lot that I haven't seen. So I'm excited to travel more, especially now that it's a little easier with my, my children being older. But um, you asking that question makes me, um, there's just this instant memory that popped up where I was able to take one of my sons uh, to Paris. And the memories were so good because we were able to explore the city mm. and, we, and we could navigate it. It was easy to walk, use the bus, the subway, the train, and our ability to explore and move really made it um, made it a great experience. Yeah, no, it's, it's if you really want to see any city, you have to walk around. That's the only way yes. to discover. If you're just driving in the car or 
in a vehicle you will never explore the city so it's always good right. to walk around no good to good to know that uh, now my third question is what is the most important leadership lesson you have learned from anybody or any any person gave you like what is your most important leadership lesson undoubtedly absolutely undoubtedly that servant leadership is is not only needed but it's a necessary uh, model for leadership you know you don't have to be the ceo or in a senior position to be a leader you ha- you have to be able, you have to care about others you have to be able to collaborate and include different perspectives yeah. to address issues and and you know that might sound like kind of an engineering answer but really if you think about people first um mm-hmm. you will always come up with better solutions um so i th- i think servant leadership you know that's what i've learned is that it's the right thing to do no amazing i i agree with you you not always need a title or role to do take a leadership role you you need to just come forward and do that now my next question is what one thing do you wish you should have learned early in your life I'm kind of, I have a real quick answer to that, but I have a, you know, more thoughtful, first of all, I yeah. wish I would have learned coding. So <laughs> I do plan to go back and learn how to code. Um, but, you know, I wish I would have learned um, that kind of, I'm going to say this in air quotes, um, norms that are imposed on women, um, you know, by certain groups of people. And I understand it's not the majority, but kind of those that, that bias that's imposed on women, it should not be a reason to not speak up or advocate for myself or for others that's that's i think both are both are important point uh, but I, i like your point about like you need to learn early in life that speak out if whatever mm-hmm. you feel and i have a i have twins a daughter and son and i treat them equally and i tell my daughter like you have first right to say he doesn't so <laughs> i'm training her <laughs> yes. in that way that you speak out first not him so I've that always... they learn Yeah, I've always had a voice and I've always known what's inside here. I don't know that it took me a long time to learn that and right. um so I wish I would have learned that earlier. Nobody are supporting and coding I you know there is a woman who was 70 year old in Japan and she learned coding and created her own app. So there is no age to learn coding. You can yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hoping that someday the um Girls Who Code this is a a, a great organization I follow their CEO online. and i'm hoping someday they'll like invite me in and i'll i'll be on their board or learn how to code or something i i just i think it's so cool what the younger generation and younger generations of women have access to now oh yeah that's that's uh, you know technology is a great equalizer and bringing that now my last question is if you can change one thing in life what would it be <laughs> that's a pretty heavy question uh wow i you know honestly and frankly um I would eradicate I would eradicate the hopelessness hmm. uh that stems from poverty. Uh you you do not have to have material wealth to be happy. Um but but the hopelessness which stems from systemic poverty is not something anyone should have to endure. It's really hard to get out of and overcome. Uh have seen it firsthand, have um have firsthand experience with that and so that hopelessness um associated with poverty i would i would just eliminate that for people with the swipe of a just like that yeah no that's a, that's a great point and and i think that's a that's the biggest thing people need it's not the material wealth it's the hope to do something mm-hmm. bigger and better and that's what can motivate everybody to move forward so no, that's a great yeah. point thank you thank you for thank you john i really enjoyed our conversation like i said earlier 
I got like so many new lessons from this conversation. I wish like I can tell other transit agencies to at least copy five or six idea from this and, and implement because what you are doing after seeing so many transit uh, agencies around the world, I know a lot of things you're doing unique and I'm, I'm happy that I'm doing this conversation so that we can share this idea with others. I appreciate you sharing. Thank you for bringing us into your fold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We'll be inviting some other inspiring guests in the coming week. You can subscribe to this podcast online to get the notification for the next episode. If you like this podcast, please don't forget to give us a five-star rating as it will help us to spread our message. If you have any feedback or suggestion for this podcast, please do write to us at info at the rate mobility-innovators.com. I look forward to see you next time. Thank you.